Thank you, Esther. Let me pray. Um, Father, we thank you for your word, and please would you help us as we look at it to hear what you have to say to us, and Lord, we pray that you would help us to delight in the Lord Jesus this Christmas because of it. Amen. Um, Just turn for 30 seconds with the person next to you. How hopeful are you of having a brilliant Christmas this year? How hopeful are you of having a brilliant Christmas this year? 30 seconds with the person next to you. Good, okay, that's 30 seconds. Um, Here are two Christmas hopefuls coming up on the screen. See if you can recognise who they are by what they say. I wish to be left alone since you asked me what I wish. Gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make myself merry myself at Christmas and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I've mentioned. They cost enough and those who are badly off must go there. Do you know who that is? Scrooge, it is Scrooge. Uh, How about this? I hate Christmas. I do think it's odd that I wound up playing these two iconic Christmas haters. It's the same story in a way. Scrooge is the original Grinch. I think I'm perfectly suited because I have had some dark Christmases. Any ideas? Jim Carrey. That is Jim Carrey. Now, my guess is you are probably not as cynical as Scrooge or Jim Carrey. But maybe you read our title for our series, Promised Hope, maybe as you discussed just then, you think, am I really that hopeful of having a brilliant Christmas? Maybe as I asked, you thought about Christmas and the things that flooded to your mind was the awkwardness of family dynamics. Maybe you thought about travelling and interrupted sleep. Maybe you thought about the awkward feelings that surround food at Christmas or, or maybe just another dull January looming just round the corner. Maybe you thought about financial issues only going to get worse. Is Christmas really that good? Maybe you're here this afternoon and you wouldn't say you trust in Jesus. And the Christmas celebrations are are great, but really quite cynical about the truth that lies behind it. Or maybe you are a Christian, you're convinced of the good news of Jesus... In the macro, in the wide-angle lens, you're convinced this is good news, but when it comes to this Christmas and the nitty-gritty of real life, you're tempted to approach Christmas with some cynicism. Is it really all that? Is my Christmas really going to be brilliant? Well, is there a good answer for those that are tempted to be cynical about Christmas? In the book of Malachi, the writer is simply the messenger between God and his people in a bit of an argument. He outlines six disputes between God and his people, written around 400 years before Jesus, the last book in the Old Testament. And God is questioning his people. And we read the fourth dispute from verse 17. Look, it's the cry of the cynical. 
Malachi says, have a look down, you have wearied God with your words. The people ask, why have we wearied them, him, by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? And you see the people's line of questioning that is wearying God. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. They're accusing, they're questioning God. Is your way really good? And the second question, where is the God of justice? It's like a challenge against what God has said about himself. Are you really going to uphold justice like you said? Can we really trust God at his word? And look, in this moment it shows that while much has happened through the Old Testament, through the narrative of God and his people, really what is happening here is the people are falling back into the same trap we see in Genesis 3. Have a look coming up on the screen. In verse 1, the crafty and cynical snake does the same. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And you see, he's questioning what God has to say and he manipulates it and he twists it. He leads Adam and Eve to cynically question God at his word, if God can be trusted at his word. And in verse 4, the serpent encourages Adam and Eve to question God's goodness. See what he says? You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He's trying to tell Adam and Eve that God's way is not good. And maybe that's just a little bit like how you're tempted into feeling approaching Christmas. Not just cynical about Christmas lunch, Christmas presents, time off work, that that they won't live up to expectation, but actually more deeply than that, are you cynical about those things because you're questioning, can God really be trusted at his word this Christmas? Is God's news really good this Christmas? And maybe you're here this afternoon and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you have those two questions at a pretty fundamental level. Can God really be trusted at his word? Is God really good? Or maybe if you are a Christian you really agree with those logically, you're convinced on those questions, but in your experience, when it comes to approaching Christmas, when you think about if you are going to have a brilliant Christmas, you're just tempted towards cynicism. Well, I think in God's response here to Malachi, we get a really exciting answer. We get a glimpse into the answer about Christmas. Because I think if we really get it today, then we'll have a great Christmas. We'll see that Christmas really is all that. So first, can God really be trusted at his word this Christmas? Have a look down at verse 3. Sorry, verse 1 of chapter 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. 
Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This promise comes from God, as I said, one of the last things written, recorded in the Old Testament. When God's people are still in desperate need of this promised king. And so God gives the words to his messenger Malachi to have written down. And you see the content of the promise that God gives to his people in the midst of this dispute. Have a look. One, there will be a messenger to prepare the way. Two, the Lord will come. And three, the messenger of the covenant will come. And this is one of the last promises that we read in the Old Testament and we flick over and we get the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark and Luke, all who specifically and explicitly mention this messenger. But look, I think this, is, this bit is most exciting. This is a real account of a real birth at the beginning of Luke's gospel and it is really small, so I'm going to read it. And we heard Hugh read a little bit of it this morning if you're listening to the devotions. But just look out for three things as we read through it. One, a person who will be a messenger to prepare the way that we've read in Malachi. Two, for the Lord who is going to come to his people. And three, make known the way in which God will save his people and ultimately live with them. Just listen Read if you can, this is Luke chapter 1. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of, their ten- because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the birth of John the Baptist, who, verse 76, will prepare the way, and then the Lord will come, it says, and in verse 77, the terms of the new covenant the forgiveness of sins through Jesus' sacrifice are made known to his people. See, this is an amazing moment. 400 years later after it was promised, this is him, the messenger born. And so shortly afterwards, Jesus, the perfect mediator, who fully and finally makes peace between God and man, will arrive. Just as was promised 400 years before, it is beginning to be realised as John the Baptist is born. And we see it's fully fulfilled in the life of Jesus, carefully accounted in the Gospels. God can be trusted at his word. His solution, his promise, it is clear. 
And of course, it's not just one promise, but hundreds of implied prophecies about the coming Lord Jesus, as well as many explicit ones. They build an overwhelming body of evidence that we can rely on, that we can take confidence in. And we rejoice in, because this is God's promise rescue plan. There was an academic who set out to um, work out the probability of just one person um, fulfilling all of the prophecies pointing towards the promised Messiah that were written in the Old Testament. He started off with um, all of the prophecies in the Old Testament, trying to work out uh, a, a probability using the, um, the things that he'd used normally um, in his work. But for the sake of time, mainly, and in order that it would be absolutely indisputable, he narrowed it down to eight prophecies found in the Old Testament that were simple prophecies explicitly mentioned in the, in the New Testament and fulfilled in the life of Jesus. So he used them, uh, here they are, those eight prophecies, I won't read them, but there they are on the screen. He used those to work out what it would be for one person to, by chance, fulfil those prophecies. The result was that the chance of one person fulfilling just those eight prophecies was one in ten to the power of 17. Now, um, for most of us, I presume, uh, that's not a number that we use very readily. Here it is. It is. Does anyone know what number that is? It is 100 quadrillion. Um, because that number is mind-blowingly big, it doesn't really mean much to us in everyday use. So, um, 1 in 10 to the power of 17. 1 in 10 is pretty obvious. If I had 10, 10 P pieces, and 1 had a spot on it, I put them in my pocket, rummaged them around a little bit, and pulled one out. The chance of me picking out the one with the spot on it is 1 in 10. That's pretty obvious. We know that kind of probability. Now, in order to get 1 in 100 quadrillion, what I'd have to do is take 10 pieces... Ten, sorry, I'd have to take 10 peas, uh, build a tower to my height, and spread those towers... Uh, in fact, I'd have to build quite a lot of towers, build them to my height, and spread them around across the whole of the UK. So every single square inch in the whole of the UK would be covered by 10 P pieces amounting to my height. Now, what I have to do in order to to do one in 100 quadrillion, is pick out one 10p piece, not just one tower, one 10p piece out of all of those things, and it be the one with the spot in. That is the chance that it was calculated that Jesus would fulfil, by chance, all of those prophecies. See, that is the kind of chance it would happen accidentally it is reasonable to say no this is not an accident this is Jesus the promised Messiah this is God's unfolding plan exactly as he promised God can be trusted at his word and that can give us immense confidence this Christmas as we read what was written about Jesus it's exactly what we need to hear 
Because this is God's promised rescue plan. It's robust. It is trustworthy. But as we read about Jesus this Christmas, it's not just exactly what happened. It's not just exactly what was promised would happen. But it is exactly what you need. Because it's God's promised hope for you this Christmas. And he can be trusted at his word. Well, second, is God's news really good this Christmas? Why the people Malachi first speaks to cynical about God? Did you see? Well, they think he's not doing anything about sin. That's their challenge against him. They think he's not doing anything about sin and injustice in the world. Why are you tempted to be cynical about Christmas? Because of people who are selfish about their plans? Because of people who say kind things and think others? Because of pride and ego about who does what around Christmas? Because of broken promises? Because of hatred and hurt? Because of sin? But in the person of Jesus, we have someone who has done something about it. We have someone who is doing something about it. And who will do something about it. The angel said, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus, he first saves us from the penalty of sin. That is what the song, Hark the Herald, speaks about. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Do you see, Jesus, he was born to die. Facing God's judgment so that you don't have to. So that you can receive second birth. And avoid the penalty of sin. But maybe you think, oh yeah, I get that. But I'm still cynical about Christmas. Maybe you even think, yeah, but I've still got to experience the the selfish and obnoxious people. Or, Or even, I look around the world and you see the evil and suffering and injustice going on. And it's going to weigh heavy on me as I sit down to eat Christmas dinner. Well, God's promise is that he will right every wrong. Jesus will ultimately deal with the presence of all sin as he returns to judge the world. But the reality is that may not look immediately different this Christmas. (coughs) But do you know what is in sharp focus here? And I think this is really exciting for our experience of Christmas. Look at verse 4. The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. Judah and Jerusalem speak of God's own people. In Jesus, his very own people are changed and transformed to worship with a pure heart. How? Look at verse 2. He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Those things, they, they cleanse from impurity. They remove stains. We were 
created in the image of God, with the potential to revere God and trust him and obey him and glorify him. But we were born in iniquity and in sin. As soon as we were born, we're completely affected by the impurity of rebellion and unbelief. We know that in our experience, we fall short of God's standard time and time again. That is the biggest factor in letting cynicism ruin your Christmas. But, if you trust in Jesus this Christmas, you have the absolute privilege that you're being refined. You are being washed. Your biggest hope this Christmas to overcome cynicism is not that the children won't fight and cry. It's not that there won't be selfish arguments around your family. Your biggest hope is that your own heart will be changed. To enjoy the gift of the Lord Jesus this Christmas. That is your biggest hope that every affection of your heart will be bent towards him to go, Jesus is the one I will enjoy. So that you begin to desire and experience those other things of Christmas in the very best way. Christmas carols, parties, food, family moments, in their place that they're meant to be enjoyed. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. You get a glimpse of that excitement as you see these two lines Speaking about the wise men, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Christmas is about God initiating not only your ransom and your rescue, but purifying our lives and making us more like Jesus for our joy and his glory. A previous church of mine, there was a leader who was an illusionist or magician, if you will. Um, he occasionally did some conjuring for some of the young people in the church and um, inevitably you knew when it was coming because he'd get some little things out and start doing tricks I was there on one occasion where there were two young boys and one boy was sat there lapping it up, mouth open, amazed at the tricks, enjoying it so much. The other boy sat there saying, it's not true. That trick's rubbish. It's not true, that's rubbish. And of course... He didn't enjoy it one bit. He was just trying to poke fun, find the error. And you see that. You watch on, you look at those children, you're a bit torn, aren't you? Because the cynical nature of the one boy who says it's a trick, well, he's robbed of all joy. He doesn't enjoy it one bit. And yet, of course, he's got it right. It is an illusion. It is a trick, but it leaves him unable to enjoy the moment. Look, this Christmas, my prayer for us 
is that cynicism would not rob us, us of joy. Because the difference is this Christmas story, this account, is not a trick. It is not an illusion. It stands up to solid reasoning. We can see that we can trust God at his word. And our rescue from sin is the very best thing for us. Look, maybe if you're here and you've not done your investigation, you've not become personally convinced of the Lord Jesus, keep going. Keep exploring, asking questions. Of course, do that. But if you do trust in Jesus, it's like that moment at the beginning of the cinema. You know, have you seen that advert where it talks about turning all your phones off and being consumed with the story? Lose yourself in the story. Allow God's truth to really grip you this Christmas. Fill you with a childlike hope that this Christmas would be a really special one. Will you appreciate the amazing hope found in the Lord Jesus? Will that shape every moment that you have? Parties, food, drink, all of those things, you don't need to be cynical because they don't provide the hope. They celebrate the hope found in the Lord Jesus that we can be confident of and that will change us. Let me pray.